Hey, we're going to start this morning with three pictures of things that I love. <laughs> On the far left is my dog, Zelda. I love her more than any man has any right to. I mean, like, sometimes my wife gets jealous because Zelda is a big dog, but she's a lap dog. She loves to sit in my lap and snuggle on the couch. And so Amber will say, why are you always cuddling the dog and not me? And I say, you're right. Move out of the way, dog. Come over here, Amber. And so we cuddle, too. And I love it. Don't get me wrong. That sounded horrible, but, you know. All right, moving on. The second thing that I love is cheeseburgers. You guys, I love cheeseburgers so much. It, it really might be my favorite food on the planet. It's just like so amazing. And I've been on a keto diet for a long time now. And so that means I rarely ever get hamburgers, like cheeseburgers with a bun. And so when I do get one, when I just say to heck with the diet, I'm going all in, I love it. I like my cheeseburger to be slightly underdone. Don't come at me with this well done hamburger stuff. No, I want it to be juicy juicy. I want it to be a little red in the middle. When I pick it up, I want the bun to fall apart. I want juices running down my arms. I want Amber to be embarrassed when we're in a restaurant because of how much I'm enjoying this hamburger. I love cheeseburgers. And then last, certainly not least, I saved the best for last. I love my wife, Amber. I mean, I love her. I love her deeply, truly, like in, in a way that honestly, when I was younger, I didn't even know it was possible. I mean, I love my wife. Now, you might have noticed that I used the same word to describe all three of those things. I said, I love my dog. I said, I love cheeseburgers. And I love my wife as well. Although I was using the same word, in truth, I meant something slightly different each time. Because I don't love my dog the way I love cheeseburgers. And I don't love my wife the way I love my dog. If I did either one of those things, I would go to jail. Like, the, the, you don't use, you use the same word, but you don't love them. You don't actually treat them or feel towards them the exact same way. Like everybody else on the planet, I am guilty of using the word love frequently and loosely. How many of you guys have experienced that? People are like, oh, I love this. I love it. 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 And you're like, enough with the love word. I'm tired of hearing about it already. And of course, it's only going to get worse because this is the month of love, right? It's February. So as we get to Valentine's Day, everything is going to be love, 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 love. Now at Connect, we use the word love a lot. You will hear us week in and week out talking about Jesus' love for us, about God's love for all people. In, in the second song we did this morning, that was a brand new song, the first time we had ever done it. That actually, that song used the word love like more times than I could possibly count, right? I loved that song, but it was using that word. I hear in your love, love, love. This is why I don't sing on the praise team. Here in your love, love. So it goes on and on and on with love over and over and over and over to the point that, you might just say, oh, I'm tired of the word love. It is one of the most overused and vague words that we can even use in the English language anymore. I mean, love is, as the video said, it's messy. Even the word and what it actually means is just kind of hard to define. And so everybody uses it all the time in whatever way they want. So there are researchers that have done studies and consistently throughout these studies, when they try to find out what are the most overused words in the English language, the first one is 
always love. The second one is awesome. And I found myself saying awesome three times this morning. And I was like, geez, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Love is overused. Now, despite the fact that it's such a common word, and despite the fact that it's a word that should have so much power behind it, we treat it pretty casually. We just throw it out there. We talk about loving cheeseburgers and loving animals and loving people and loving God as if that word could adequately express how we feel towards each one of those things. Not only that, but it's been my experience as I talk with people and hear their stories, there is a lot of heartache and confusion over the word love in our world. Because we've all had people who told us, maybe they were friends, and they said, I love you, like family, I love you. And then they hurt us. And you wonder to yourself, what went wrong? I thought you said you loved me. How could somebody who loved me ever do that to me? You, you say you love your spouse, and yet the feelings that you used to have for them are gone or nearly gone. And so you find yourself wondering, do I really love them? I mean, honestly, do I love them anymore? You've got people in your world and they throw that word around casually, you know? It's like you haven't seen them in forever. Or it's only the second time you've ever met them. And they're like, I love you. You got the guy who goes on a date and by the third date, he's like, I love you. And you're like, ah, it's a little much. It's a little overused. Now, look, if you have questions about love, if you have hesitations and reservations about love because you've been burned by people who say that they love you in the past, if you wanna know how you can love the people in your life better, if you wanna be a better parent in loving your children, if you wanna be a better spouse in loving your significant other, if you are a young a single person or an older single person and you wanna fall in love, then I wanna help you this morning discover what exactly love is from a biblical perspective. You've chosen a great morning to brave the snow and to come to church because we are going to look at what God says about true love, what true love is and what true love isn't and how we can use it in the way it was originally intended to transform everything around us. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 this morning. And this, this message is actually going to serve as a bridge message. So this is not a series, actually. This is a standalone Sunday message. And it's going to bridge where we just came from in miracles. And it's going to move us into the series that we're going to cover over the next three weeks in February. And I'm going to tell you about that series in just a moment. And you guys are about to get really excited. I promise you that. Part of the reason that this serves as a bridge between the two is because uh, over the last month, as we talked about God working miracles, we talked about the fact that love is the greatest miracle of all. That you could do all of these different miraculous things, things that are unexplainable, and yet the Bible is super clear in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is the greatest miracle that could ever be expressed in our world. And so we're actually going to go back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, the same passage we were in last week, and we're going to look at a, a few different verses this time around so we can figure out exactly what love means. And then I promise it's going to lead us into our coming messages over the next few weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, we're going to start reading at verse 1. The, the verses are here on the screen. You can follow along there if you like. 
the Apostle Paul is writing, and again, remember the context if you've been here over the last few weeks. He's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about miracles, God doing amazing transformative things through you. And he says there in the middle of this discussion about miracles and gifts among Christians, he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, then I would be nothing. He says, if I gave everything I had to the poor, and even if I were to sacrifice my body for the benefit of other people, I could boast about it, but then I wouldn't truly love others, and I would have gained nothing. Now, I want you to pay attention to these next few verses. The same words that we heard in our video a moment ago. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice over injustice, but it rejoices anytime the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. And then if you skip down to uh, verse number 13, the scripture says that there are three things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of all three of those is love. How many of you have heard that passage? You've probably been to a wedding and they read that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's typically where it gets read. Nearly every time I'm asked to do a wedding, somebody's like, hey, um, can you read 1 Corinthians 13? It's such a beautiful scripture and talks about love in all these wonderful ways. So can you read it for us? But if any passage in the Bible is guilty of overusing the word love, it's 1 Corinthians 13. This passage uses the word love or it references love 13 times in 11 verses. Like that's a lot to be crammed in to a pretty small passage. And you actually might find the things that you just heard in these verses a little bit frustrating because your experience with love so far in life could not be described the way those verses describe love. Your experience with love is somebody who is irritable, somebody who is not patient, somebody who is not generous, somebody who would not hope for your best, somebody who seemed to be seeking their own good instead of yours. And so you might even be a little cynical when you hear 1 Corinthians 13 and think that sort of love, it just doesn't exist. Like maybe it's a good idea and sure it's poetic and beautiful, I guess, but I don't think it actually exists in our world today. And I think you might be right, depending on how we define the word love. You see, how we use this word actually matters. And the way that we define love among ourselves will actually dictate whether or not the love that we have looks like the qualities and characteristics from 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. So maybe it would be helpful to define love the way it's used in the Bible. In fact, in the scripture, there are four different words that are used or translated to mean love. We've got them here on the screen for you. We're going to walk through these real, real quickly. I don't mean to give you a language lesson, but I promise you when we get through this, you are going to understand love, true love, biblical love better than you ever have before. 
You probably know that the, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. It was written by Jewish people who lived in the Roman Empire. And the Romans, way back around like 1 AD, you know, like first century people, they actually didn't have any culture of their own. They just stole their culture from Greeks. Maybe you remember this from history. They were like, we don't need to come up with all new gods. We'll just take the Greek gods, give them new names, and suddenly they're Roman gods, right? They did this with everything. They took what the Greeks had come up with earlier, they slapped their name on it, and it became their philosophy, their way of doing things. And so the Greeks had identified four types of love. The Romans adopted these four types of love, and you actually see these four play out in the Bible because the Bible was written at the same time in the Roman Empire. So the first one is one that everybody's going to understand. The first Greek word for love is eros, and that's romantic or even sexual love. Eros is the word that we get the word erotic from. So you get that love. Everybody knows that one. I don't have to spend a ton of time on that. It's romance love. It's the love between you and your spouse, or at least the love you guys had before you'd been married for 15 years. All right. The second kind of love is philia. And this is brotherly love. You might be familiar with this word because Philadelphia Pennsylvania is the city of brotherly love. Or maybe you've heard somebody called a cinephile. That means that file ending. It means that they love whatever it is that you know, comes before. So movies in this case. So there was romantic love that the Greeks had identified. There was brotherly love. Then there was storge, which is family love. That's what you feel as a parent. It's what every parent was experiencing up here this morning as they look down at their loved ones and you're just like, oh, I love them so much. That's storge. It's familial or family, uh, paternal love, we could say. And then there was a fourth kind. This love was called agape love. And this agape love was actually quite different from the other three types of love that are mentioned throughout the scripture and throughout Greek thought. Because this love is divine in its origin. This love, the qualities, the things that characterize it are completely different from the other three. Now, here's something that I find fascinating. In ancient Greek literature, outside of the Bible, we find so many writings that talk about eros and philia and storge love. But you know, outside of the New Testament, there are almost no uses of the word agape. It's like they invented this word to talk about divine, sacrificial, wonderful love. And then they realized we never see it. And so they stopped talking about it. And then the New Testament comes along and the New Testament writers snatch this word up and they start to use it all over the place to describe the sort of love that should characterize me and you because it's the type of love that characterizes God towards us. So I can highlight a few of the the differences between these really quick. And the reason that I'm doing this is because even though we don't use these words, you're going to see these things as being absolutely present in the 21st century. This is still the way we look at love. This is still the way we divide it up in our world today. So both romantic love, the eros, philia, the brotherly love, and then storge, the paternal or family love, all of them are based on feelings and emotions. It's based on how I feel about you because you are my child or because you are my girlfriend or because we get along really well, we geek out together over Lord of the Rings. It is based on our feelings towards one another. 
These sorts of love, because they are based on our feelings for other people, are actually quite self-focused. They're really focused on us, what we get out of the relationship, the reasons that we feel the way that we do towards one another. We could also say that for each one of these types of love, this love is a noun. It is something that either you have or you don't. And then we could say that with these sorts of loves, we could talk about it in terms of falling into love and falling out of love, whether that's romantic, whether it's brotherly affection, or even family devotion, we could talk about falling in or falling out of love. But agape, this divine love, is completely different. Because agape love is not based in emotion, it's based in choice. That means that even if you don't feel loving towards this other person, you still choose to treat them lovingly. We could say that this love is other-focused. It's not about what they give to you, it's about what you give to them. We could say that in agape, love is a verb. It's not a noun, it's not something you either have or you don't, it is something you do. You express love. You put love on display through the way that you treat the other people around you. And then we could also point out that this sort of love, it's really unseverable. It is a love that is so deep. And because it's based on choice instead of feeling, that no matter what comes, I am going to continue to choose to express this sort of love. It is unseverable. You can't cancel it. You can't say, oh, I fell out of love, so sorry. Uh, I'm gonna move on to something else. Now, I want you to think back to 1 Corinthians 13 for a sec. And I want you to decide which of those three loves do you think the apostle Paul, which of those words do you think he's using to translate into love? Do, do you think it's saying that eros, this romantic, you know, sexual kind of love is, is patient and it's kind and it's long suffering and it seeks the good of other people and doesn't rejoice in it? Nope, clearly not talking about that. Is he talking about brotherly love? No. Is he talking about family love? No. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, every single single time the word love is used, it is translating the word agape every time. And so if we define love as eros, then love does not look like that. Eros never looks like that. If we define it as family affection, it's not always going to look like that. If we define it as friendship, it's not always going to look like that. And yet the apostle Paul says agape is these things. It's not just that love is patient and love is kind, but agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. This is why some of you have never experienced this sort of love before. Because the love that you've been wrapped up in has been romantic or it's been friendly or it's been based on family relationships but some of you have never consistently experienced love that's based on choice, love that's given freely and without condition, love that finds its source in God, agape love. Let me show you another interesting verse here. 1 John chapter number four, verse eight, very, very simple, short section of, of verses, but it's so profound. 1 John chapter number four, eight says, God is love. God is love. 
Now, these words were written by the Apostle John, a dude who spent three plus years with Jesus every single day. And he basically says, you know, if you would have asked me in my younger days, what does love look like? I probably would have described a hot girl or I would have talked about how my parents felt towards me or whatever, whatever, whatever. But he said, after spending time with Jesus, I've just become convinced that the ultimate expression of love is God because God is love. Now, do you think when he wrote this passage that he was using eros? Romantic love? No, that's gross. Do you think that he was using philia? Like God loves us like brothers? No, he's not using that. He's not even using family love because the love that God has for you and I is deeper. It's richer. It is more meaningful. It's not based on how God feels. It is based on his character. It is who he is. He chooses to give it to us even when we aren't particularly lovely. When you read 1 John chapter number four, verse eight, it says, God is agape. That's the sort of love that God is. It's not eros, it's not philia, it's not storge, it is agape. So I want you to get this because we're gonna make a connection here and it's gonna be key and critical as we land the plane and we end this message. God is agape. And 1 Corinthians 13 says that agape is, and it describes what agape is. That means that God himself is actually described in 1 Corinthians 13. So when you go back to that passage, it's not just saying, well, this very nice, poetic, romantic, lovely, highfalutin sort of love. It's saying God himself, because God is agape. God is patient. God is kind. God is not self-seeking. God always protects you. He always trusts you. He always hopes the best for you. He will always persevere for you because he is agape. Now, for some of you, this is a revelation in and of itself. This is like... You never thought about a God who actually loved you. Maybe you were raised in a home where your family came from an Eastern religion and you were like, well, God, as we know it, is just kind of this impersonal force. He doesn't love anyone or anything. Maybe you come from a Muslim background and you're like, well, in our religion, God is a person, but he doesn't really express love. He he expresses righteousness or holiness. Maybe you're coming from an atheistic or an agnostic perspective. You're like, I don't even think there is a God. And so for you to hear, that not only is there a God, but his fundamental nature and quality is love for you is earth shattering. It has the power to transform you because he doesn't love you based on feelings. He loves you based on his choice for you. This is really important, okay? You understand God is agape and agape is described in 1 Corinthians 13. This is really important because you expect me to finish this message by saying, okay, Connect Church, now I want you to go out the doors and I want you to go agape your world. I want you to go agape your husband. I want you to go agape your neighbor. I want you to go agape your office. Can I tell you something? You can't. You cannot agape anybody on your own. You can only do it with and through God, because God is agape love. He is this self-sacrificing servant lover. And you cannot agape without the God who is 
agape. If you look in 1 John chapter number four, just a few verses later in verse number 19, John the apostle writes this, we agape because he agaped us. We agape because God agaped us. And so if I were to say to you, now go love your world, do your best, you know what? You'd do great for one day or until the most annoying person in your office ticked you off. And then you're like, forget this agape stuff. I'm about to throw some punches here because you can't agape without God. It's impossible. You can't do it. According to John, the true source and motivation for love in our world is God himself. Now that doesn't mean that people who don't know God can't express love. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is they can never consistently express agape love. They might get close. They might do it periodically and sporadically. They can certainly express eros or philia or storge family love, but we will never be able to adequately show the world agape style and type of love until we get it from God. Maybe we could summarize it like this. You cannot express agape until you've experienced agape. You cannot express the love of God for the people around you until you have experienced the love of God inside of you. If you try to love people before you let God love you, you've got things backwards. You're involved in a religion and not a relationship. And guess what? You're gonna hate every second of it because none of us, not me, not you, not the Pope, not your lovely grandma, nobody is able to consistently and faithfully love people, agape people, the way that the scripture calls us to apart from God. Agape has to happen in you before it can happen through you. You cannot transform anything until you've been transformed yourself. Maybe The reason that you have so much trouble loving people unconditionally is because you've never accepted the fact that God loves you unconditionally. And until you come to internalize that and believe that in the deepest part of your heart and soul, you are always gonna struggle to show that to other people. You wanna be a parent who loves your child well in the agape way, that unseverable, giving, sacrificial, deep sort of way, then you need to learn love from your heavenly father. You wanna be a wife who agapes your husband well, then you need to be swallowed up by the agape love of God himself. If you're a single person and you can't wait to fall in love, can I tell you, don't look for eros, don't look for philia, don't look for story. Look for the agape love of God. Don't fall in love, walk in love every single day because that's the sort of love that will actually carry you through a lifelong marriage. Eros will fade. You're not always gonna feel real fraternal towards the person that you share a house with. But if you have agape choice love, then you have the capability to go the distance. You wanna learn to love unlovely people around you? Then you need to understand just how unlovely you are at times and remember that God loves you anyway. You cannot agape the world until you've embraced the agape love of God in your own heart. You might be able to eros, you might be able to fill you, you might be able to store Jay, but you won't agape until you've embraced it for yourself. So let me close out by asking this question. How can we embrace the agape love of God? Experience it 
I mean, how can we make this happen? And the truth is, it happens in the same way that any other relationship happens. If you want to embrace and experience God's love, it's going to take trust. That's the key. The thing that so many of you are missing right now in your relationship with God is that you don't truly trust him. You don't truly believe he's trustworthy. You can't have intimacy or closeness with God. You can't be transparent or vulnerable with him because you're afraid that he might hurt you or the church could hurt you. Trust is not an easy thing, but in like any relationship, whether it's with people or with God, it is the key and necessary component. So if you're wondering like, man, I I would really love to have a relationship with this God, but I'm concerned and I don't have all my questions answered. I'm afraid that I'm going to get burned somehow if I make this sort of decision. Can I just read for you 1 Corinthians 13 once more? Can you just soak in these words? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. He is not proud. God does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. God keeps no record of your wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. Your romantic partners will fail you. Your friends will let you down. There might even be a time where your family falls away. I hope not, but it's always possible. God, his agape love for you will never fail you. So now there are three things that will always remain. Faith, hope, and God. But the greatest of these is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. 